The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I don't have a cute nickname. You can call me what you like, I suppose. You have a handsome beard. Thank you. You can, you, you can call me Rude Hand Gestures in Traffic. Rude Hand Gestures in Traffic and I uh, <laughs> are very, very pleased because, once again, not only is this Anime Month... I should probably have a sound effect to go in there, but I don't. But not only is this Anime Month, but we are once again joined by our esteemed anime expert, author, illustrator, M. Lapis da Silva. Woo! Woo! Uh, so yeah, it is Anime Month. We're doing a whole month of anime shows, and uh, this week we're covering a show that was voted on by our patrons at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And on top of all of that, it was a suggestion on the poll that M. Lampus da Silva put on there. So thank you so much. I'm going to stop calling you M. Lampus da Silva because we're, we're married and it's I, I should probably just call you Michelle. Yeah, I guess you can. I okay, mean, M. Lampus da Silva. It's, yeah. a, it's official. I've, I've, yeah. known, I've, known for, I've known you for a bit, Ms. da Silva. And, thank you. Ms. Uh, yeah. Lampus da Silva. And I think I'll... Uh, Try to uh, try to keep it formal while you're on the That's show. That's cool. Special, special guest. I always make up a nickname just for the show, like mm-hmm. Skeets McGee or something. <laughs> <laughs> people call me Skeets McGee. Now I'm Skeets McGee. That's, so. <laughs> you know that song? It's about me. Um, yeah. That's a song. Yes. Oh. <laughs> don't don't look up what the word Skeet means. Oh, Otherwise, God. Booster Gold will be ruined for you entirely. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Wow. It's, I nobody just, nobody I, tells me anything. I it's it's sexual slang. What yeah. did I do? Why am I unintentionally sexual tonight? I'm not <laughs> comfortable. I'm not comfortable with myself. I'm just going to vote myself out of this episode right now. <laughs> but but you can't vote yourself out yet because we have yet to talk about Princess Jellyfish. <sighs> Yay! Okay, all right, all right. This is a good show. Right. <laughs> so, Mom. Even though I didn't manage to blossom into a beautiful princess, I do have a really fun life here in Tokyo. Oh, right. She passed out here last night. A wig? It's a great wig, huh? I'm so sorry. Found it online. Like 12,000 yen. It must have been fourth grade since I actually talked to a man that wasn't dad. Here, take your stupid wig. This place is so cool. Everything about this place is so retro. What is that stylish stranger doing here? Nice. <laughs> All right. Princess Flippy. Jellyfish is enti- almost entirely unlike High School of the Dead. Uh, it and was- thank goodness, because <laughs> if you were listening last week, I loathed that show with a fiery passion. It was an interesting conversation <laughs> to be had, but th- this is a complete about face. Mm. This it's is like- a sitcom. What is it? Yeah. It, it's, a show, it it's a shoujo. Uh, it, a it's, it's romantic, drama, comedy. Mm. Yeah, it's it's... Targeted for girls, girls comics, you know, which okay. is what shoujo, you know, means basically. But yeah, uh, that's the genre. Okay, so uh, so so, how is shoujo just different from like a sitcom or just different from romance? Is it more like a soap opera in general? Would you say, or is it just its own sort of unique? I mean, it has plot? a range. It okay. could be lighter to more serious, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I mean, I think this one actually has a mix of uh, tense, serious issues as well as comedy, kind of balanced. 
pleasantly yeah. together. I mean, that's... like there are, there are elements of this where it almost feels slice of life for a few minutes, and then mm. it'll just go really broad or it'll get really dramatic. Mm. And it's kind of like one of those great shows mm. that feels like it's everything you could possibly want from a TV show, unless you really want to watch like people kill zombies. Yeah, there's there's no zombie killing. There's no, there's no, there's no. no action well, in the show. Not in the episodes we got. There's I suppose action. So. It's just not. But there's not you like know, you know heads exploding well, no. and car chases. No, but selling stuffed jellyfish dolls is plenty active. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that was intense. Well, I was with it. Yeah. Well, I, I I describe it as a sitcom because the the scenario is very sitcom. In fact, it's particularly very 1990s American sitcom. It's about. Yeah. Uh, uh, a group of women who live in uh, an apartment building that they have donned, donned, donned the nunnery, yeah. uh, and they're all uh, self-described otaku. They're all f- like obsessive fans about one particular thing or another. The protagonist is obsessive about jellyfish. Uh, one of her friends is obsessed about trains. Another one of her roommates is obsessed about uh, Japanese history. And uh, into their life moves a what they call a stylish. They're a fashionista, for lack of a better term. Uh, it's, uh, she, it's their uh, go-to term for anyone who's who's like cool and extroverted. Yeah, and yeah. comfortable with society, because they're all very uncomfortable yeah. with yeah, society and, all and interactions. Uh, I, I guess the, you know. the, the, the modern American equivalent might be an Instagram influencer. Somebody who's just constantly I mean, photographing themselves. I, I imagine if this there. if the show were if this story were written today, that might yeah. be a part of it, maybe. But it's what is, but, just uh, someone yeah. who's more concerned with fashion and with being mm-hmm. fashionable. I think to just reduce it. To, yeah. To, yeah. And, uh, and the yeah. other the other co lead, she uh, rescues the heroine of the show and uh, and a jellyfish one evening after an, an altercation with the cantankerous pet store owner. Uh, they take this, uh, the fashionista takes the protagonist home and it's revealed that the fashionista is in fact a drag queen and, uh, and hilarity ensues because they have to keep, keep, uh, his true gender identity a secret from all of the other women in the house because men are not allowed into the yeah into, into, that into, into the into particular apartment, apartment complex. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's bad enough that they have, that she has allowed a cool person mm. into the apartment because that makes everyone fundamentally uncomfortable already. Yeah, but if they found out uh, it was a guy, and there's so many moments where he just flat out says, "And I'm a boy," mm. and they're just like, "What?" And mm. they just sort of sidestep it sometimes elegantly, sometimes in ridiculous ways. Mm often by saying Ole a lot and yeah. singing, like, presumably a song from... I'm, I want to guess it's from a television show, probably from the Showa era. Um, you were mentioning that it's, it reminds you of sitcoms from the 90s. Actually, this entire series is a love song to the Showa era, which went from the late 20s to 1989. And, I know the Showa era from Godzilla. Right, exactly. And you can see it's in the architecture of the building that they're in. It's in their clothing choices. It's in the character designs mm-hmm. of of all of the cast at the house. Because all of these these friends who are very nerdy also tend to resemble stylistically um, side characters that you might find in Showa era manga. Oh, okay. But, like, not yeah. protagonists, so people who just be off to the side so and have, like, a couple of lines here or there. It's the, the nerdy yeah. sidekicks are not the protagonists. Sure. Or not even nerdy, like, um... What is it? Mayaya? She really looks like Lupin the Third's best friend and partner who whose name is escaping me right I, now. I will look that up, because that was driving me nuts, yeah. too. Um, yeah. Like her style is drawn like him, you know. Okay. There's, it, it's not necessarily like uncool characters is what they look like, but they do look like side characters. They're not the the characters that the plot would typically be focused on. Is it Daisuke Jigen? Jigen, yeah. With the hat. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's Jigen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, when when uh, when abouts was the show era? Like what's the what's the uh, like decade? I said late twenties to nineteen eighty nine. So that's a big range of uh-huh. like media to reference, and mm-hmm. one of the things I like about and it actually took me a minute to realize like what it referenced because I love the opening credits of this show. It takes place mostly when the protagonist uh, is asleep and mm-hmm. she is dreaming about everyone that she knows. 
in like pop the culture same, scenarios. Well, yeah, everyone that she knows yeah. they're in various pop culture scenarios, and they tend to reflect their personalities. And at first, I was a little, I was thinking like, oh, is this going to be like really fanciful? And she was going to like imagine all these characters in these scenarios, and that was just going to be this sort of element, like almost like Muppet Babies, where they would occasionally, you know, throw in. <laughs> Maybe that's a bad example, but you know, just something really your, fanciful. Your imagination can take you there. <laughs> Nice, uh, but uh, but no, it's actually it, it evokes that idea that this is very infused with uh, uh, sort of pop culture, uh, uh, well, homage, but also they, they reflect the various characters and how they. Uh, there's a subplot throughout the entire series where there is a corporation that wants to bulldoze their apartment complex and turn it into a big giant hotel. It's and a in total the, sitcom plot point. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's also it's also a low budget like indie film yeah. plot point as yeah. well. It's I, been I, I was yeah. I was watching yeah. Gremlins two earlier. That's the plot of Gremlins two. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but like in in the opening credits, that whole like subplot is uh, personified in uh, a, a big visual. Shout out to Star Wars, mm. where everyone who is like trying to bulldoze their house is like on the Death Star, but they have jellyfish heads instead of Stormtrooper helmets. <laughs> and I loved that. Although I appreciate that when we finally get to the characters, they're not pop culture obsessives. They're, uh, it, they're like, for lack of a better term, proper geeks. Uh, in oh, that, good no, gatekeeping, no, no. You're quite welcome. Oh, I'm, I'm, no. not, I'm not so much a gatekeeper, I'm more a key master. Um, <laughs> But, uh, no, the idea... Being I'm out. That, I quit the podcast. Fine. Okay. See you later. There, uh, there the, are no gates. The, uh, <laughs> well, the, the point being, you know, there was a time when being obsessive with Star Wars made you an outsider, and now it's the only thing that makes you an insider. In fact, being not into Star Wars is the thing that makes you an outsider. These are people who are not into things like Star Wars or things that are remotely popular at all. Uh, they're into things like train timetables and, you know, the minutiae of jellyfish. Uh they have obsessive interests that keep them outsiders, and I think that's a big part of the characters and a big part of the show. Well, at the same time, though, that is your cultural like awareness. Michelle, is the, does that actually accurate? I mean, to the... some of this is also stuff that was popular but kind of had a phase um, mm-hmm. culturally. Like, it was kind of cool for a little bit of time to be into trains innocently, and then that <laughs> kind of passed okay. for a lot of people from the culture, and mm-hmm. then you get people who are left behind who still love trains and Mm. and are devoted to that. And, you know, they form groups and things like that. I don't know. I mean, the the one lady is obsessed with historical dramas, too. Mm. And even to this day, I know there are people who are very, like, into their historical dramas. And, 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 the, I, ones I just, that they, yeah. and the ones that she specifically references, Record of the Three Kingdoms, that mm-hmm. is constantly mm-hmm. mined for new movies and TV shows. Yeah, Like, all the exactly. time. That's very active in That's, the public culture. Her obsession yeah. with it may be a little extreme, but that is not esoteric. Yeah, no. It's, it's like being obsessed with something as big as or possibly possibly bigger than Star Wars. You know, mm. but it's like, just old, so it's, it's just not, like, not. It's not in our frame, and it yeah. is older. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I was trying to uh, just yeah put put a, an American equivalent onto what I was yeah. saying. I, I, so I feel like it would be like, like imagine if you ran into a group of people and like one person is still super obsessed with pogs. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, like yeah. there was a time when people were, like a year or two in the early '90s, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> this yeah. was a weird. Oh, fat pog. Yeah. pog uh, was a Hawaiian beverage. Yeah, and uh, it was uh, P-O-G. I think it was passion fruit, orange, and guava. Yeah, but basically they were they came in like these little milk bottles, and the milk bottles had on the top like a piece of cardboard, mm. and they came up with a fun gimmick, which was the little circles of cardboard that sealed the bottle could be collectible. You just had to put anything on them, and then everyone's like, "Oh, that's inexpensive and fun!" So mm. they started making all kinds of pogs from all different brands and companies and well, independents. And could you and, play them? Like there was a way. Yeah, it's like Tiddlywinks. Like, yeah, exactly. It, you, you would end up yeah. getting like one really thick one, like a plastic one or a metal mm-hmm. one. You call it a slammer, and then you would like try <laughs> to like hit that into like if memory serves. It's been obviously it's been forever since. I played it because the fad died real hard, but uh, you would like hit him into like a hat or a cup mm. or something, and, and then, then you could then, win other people's pogs. And then, yeah. a, and then, a, uh, then a Tamagotchi would jump out and bite you. And <laughs> the pogs were interesting because even though they were obviously really very dated, 
there, Furbies. There were two. There were two problems with with Pogs. One, it, no, I mean, like, I think one of the reasons why okay, they, they failed I, to. I'm out. I'm out. No, no, no I'm these the were okay. No, screw people you. keep <laughs> leaving this podcast. It's getting smaller. It's a podcast now. Uh, the, I, There's got to be a podcast. One of the problems is that because they were so cheap and because it was basically impossible to patent a cardboard circle, hmm. uh, there was no sense of like scarcity or anything like that. So there was no collector's market for them. Uh, so that hurt it a little bit, but also the way you played was you won people's pogs, and a lot of schools considered that gambling. So no. pogs got outlawed as a game real fast, and the kids just lost interest because they couldn't play as much. Hmm. So it just gone. It was all after my time. Okay. Like pogs got really big when I was like maybe in the tenth grade. When you're in the tenth grade, yeah. you're not playing with pogs anymore. Yeah. I think it was in like the fifth or sixth. Yeah. I remember being like on the late end of elementary it was, school. Yeah, it, was, it was it was on the same crest as Pokemon. Like, we're I, the I remember same those age, two but I remember it being like more of a middle school thing. Uh, maybe maybe maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, listen. You know right. these kinds of fads don't all hit like everywhere simultaneously, no, especially sure. back before like social media made everything trend at once. So, like, it could just be, like, my school was a little bit ahead or behind or whatever. Mm. Who knows? Or maybe I'm just remembering it bad. I don't know. My point is the characters are all awkward outsiders. <laughs> that is yes. <laughs> that is true. Regardless of your cultural awareness of the mm. details, they are all awkward outsiders. And they are absolutely delightful. Uh, yeah. They are all very distinctly uh, uh, drawn, as you mentioned, and... They're all very funny. They're all yeah. very funny. Except for the protagonist. The protagonist can never be the funniest one, so she has you know, yeah. protagonist syndrome. But not really, though, because I find protagonist syndrome is usually what happens when your protagonist is kind of a cipher. Mm. And she is ultra-specific. I mean, she has an ultra-specific obsession. Mm. Um, She's just not as, as energetic as the other Her energy characters. is more reactive, mm. you know what I mean, instead of proactive, because, again, it's her being thrown into a lot of uncomfortable situations, so a lot of yeah. her comedy is her like really dramatic overreaction right. to whatever's happening in front of her because her introvert's anxiety can't yeah. take it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, they, they alternately, uh, she and the other women staying in the convent uh, alternately turn to stone whenever uh, a fashionista will talk to them. Yeah, uh, stylish. Like, like yeah. rather literally because it's an animated show, uh, or they'll just be thrown into a blind rage. Those are the only two reactions they have to the outside world. There's also screaming and nosebleeds. Also nosebleeds. Yeah. And I, you know, nosebleeds, of course, indicating sexual attraction. Mm. Which is not a, a, a visual metaphor we really have in the West. And I always think it's kind of... I remember the first time I started noticing that. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, these people have so many nosebleeds. <laughs> yeah, what, what's going on? Are you okay? This? I don't have that many nosebleeds. Like they reel back is and, that an and issue? blood will like explode from their nose. Yeah. And you know, that's just a symbol that... The person is very attractive. <laughs> yeah. The the other one uh, that uh, Michelle had to explain to me, and I've, I've long since known it now, but mm. um, is um, in anime, if someone sneezes, it means someone's talking about them in another scene. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, yeah. so we'll just be like, oh, and uh, oh, did you, Whitney's coming over later. Whitney just goes, achoo. Achoo. Yeah. Achoo. yeah. And then just cut, cut to it, and then yeah. that would be that. That's the whole joke. Oh, that's yeah. cute. Yeah. yeah. Although they have a non-talking uh, about someone sneeze in this series. Oh, yeah. That's I used thought, as a plot device. It's so oh. weird. Yeah. I thought it was a talking oh. about you sneeze, and then it actually was a different plot point. It's like, <laughs> um, uh, I rem A friend of mine, who a Canadian friend of mine, explained mm -hmm. to me, uh, there's, uh, like, I'm not sure if this is worldwide, but I know mm -hmm. in, in the United States, if a black cat crosses your path, that's a sign of bad luck. Mm. Right. Um, Lies. Not true at all. Well, yeah. you, you guys live. My yeah. my. I, live, I lived with black cat yeah. cats as a kid, so my older sister had to explain to me if you live with a cat, it's actually good luck. Oh, so we preserve the stigma. If, if it's, yeah, if it's a your oh, cat, right. then it's okay. Yeah. It's like oh well, then that's yeah, all right. that's that's great. Mm -hmm. yeah. that's I'm not sure that's that's but the best way to handle that. We, we had to bring our black cats inside on Halloween because people would like steal and even kill black cats. People are awful. Black cats don't get adopted. But evidently in Canada, there's something similar with with seagulls like if a really? seagull crosses your path or runs into your car it means that you like you're a bad person <laughs> Like, wow. like, like you're, like you're, like you're greedy or cruel, and that's like the the seagull like is coming albatross. to attack. Albatross, yeah. like, <laughs> get your albatross and, uh, here. 
And this had to be explained to me because there's a scene in the, the Kids in the Hall movie where mm. uh, one of Bruce McCullough's characters is the sort of asshole marketing guy yeah. is getting into a limousine and a, a seagull literally flies into his eye socket. Mm. It's like, oh, there's something in my eye. It's a gigantic seagull and just uh-huh. throws a oh, fucking bird. So that wasn't just random. That was it, actually... It, that a, wasn't just... Oh, wow. It was like, oh, that's a fun, absurd joke. No, that's actually like a symbol. Like, he's so greedy that it just flies straight into his face. It doesn't like cross his path. And this is why, listen, when you, when we talk about especially uh, uh, media from other cultures, mm. it's helpful to know someone have, have at least someone who is familiar with it. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why I'm very glad Michelle is here because you're really immersed in mm. in anime. You know a lot of these things that a lot of people watching anime just know. And Whitney and I would just be like, oh, like mm. those those poor noses. I'm interested. Whenever I have a question, I want to answer it. <laughs> but you just look things up. Yeah, constantly. I've I've read a lot of annotated volumes over the years of yeah. things and uh taken Japanese cinema classes and yeah. uh yeah. And read a lot of Japanese literature. I don't know. I mean, you know, the things you do. Fair enough. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, let's talk a few vital stats here mm-hmm. on this uh, jellyfish series. Uh, so, Princess Jellyfish is uh, based on a manga series written and illustrated by Akiko Higashimura, uh, and it ran uh, from October two thousand and eight to August twenty seventeen. Uh, the eleven episode anime uh, ran from October fifteenth, twenty ten. Through December thirty first, twenty ten, which is actually simultaneous with High School of the Dead, which I think is hilarious. Um, It's just a coincidence. Guess what I'd be watching on Friday night. Uh, It has also been turned into in two thousand and fourteen a live action film, and uh, in two thousand and eighteen there was a ten episode TV drama, and I haven't seen any of those. So a live action TV show. Yeah. So once again, this is of the many anime series that we're doing. It might not normally fit our rules because obviously the manga continued and there was mm. other TV stuff, but all anime shows are a kind of because it's yeah. not the same would handle TV the same way in other countries. Mm. Um, so plot-wise, the show actually is... I, one of the things I love about it is that the plot is actually really strong, but it's actually, in many respects, rather mild. It's not full of constant incident it's we set up strong characters and we give them opportunities to sort of make each other uncomfortable and work through their differences and gradually grow over time. So this isn't one of those ones where we can go through every episode. We're like, ah, this is the episode where they find a mummy, you know, yeah. or this is the no, episode. Wouldn't, wouldn't where, that have been fun? Well, it would have been a different show. Yeah. Um, but Whitney, Whitney set it up uh, right at the beginning. Our protagonist is obsessed with jellyfish. She would visit uh, jellyfish in an aquarium with her mother, who is sadly no longer with her. And a lot of the narration is her talking to her mom as though she were here and could give her like advice and find out more about her current life as excuse me, a young woman trying to make it on her own. And she equates jellyfish with well, romance in a lot of well, ways. Well, with beauty. Yeah. Well, I her think. mother promised to make her a wedding dress that resembled a very specific jellyfish that mm. they used to visit together. So I think that it's tied up with not only romance, but the idea of marriage and growing up, mm. you know, and being perceived as beautiful. And, uh, She's 18. She's just moved to the big city for the first time. And that's how she's come to live in this apartment building. Uh, the apartment building is... Is it owned by the mysterious artist who lives behind the door? No, it's owned by the woman who... Uh, the Okay, so the woman who collects dolls. Yeah. Her mother owns the building. That's right. Yes. Okay. But her yeah. mother isn't the manga artist who, like, runs... No, the manga okay. artist who, who only passes notes through the door, you never see her in this series. Yeah. Okay. We never see her or hear her voice. She only communicates yeah. through notes passed under her door. Yes. But she, she does seem she's to have also, seniority. So yeah, like she, she's yeah. like the, 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 quote, mother superior of, of this convent, well, as it were. Mostly because I think she also provides a source of income to the rest of the yeah, they, women there. They kind of work for her. They, they like run yeah. off copies and stuff. Well, they, they help her complete her manga pages. She's a mangaka, she's a manga artist, and they're her assistants. They do mm. blacking and inking. They do a lot of work actually that people you know get paid decently for there's, um, there's another yeah. anime series we might cover on this month if we have time that is actually very 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 much about 
just completing other people's manga. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really, really... What's the show called? Monthly again? Girls Nozaki-kun. Yeah, we're going to try to fit it in. If we can't, please see Monthly Girls Nozaki-kun. It is hilarious. <laughs> it's really funny. It's yeah. really good. Um, but so, they're, they're, yeah. all, they're also a work of verse. And in fact, uh, a little sort of uh, Greek chorus occasionally appears on screen in the form of a, a chibi little jellyfish character yes. who, who speaks to the camera and says, here's things you don't mention in front of these characters. And yeah. this week, don't ask what they do for work because they <laughs> yeah. hate work. Well, it's not that they hate work. And I actually really like the... Com- well, they, they, I, I, they hate a job. They hate well, like having yeah. a blue-collar position. Many of them have jobs, but they're typically things that don't require them to go out and do retail. They're mm-hmm. things like stuffing envelopes okay. or whatever. Yeah. But there's a really wonderful monologue. I think it's Mayaya has about this. Is it Mayaya? I can't remember if she's the one who says it or not. It's one of those characters. But it's basically about how these women, these are grown women who are in their 30s, a lot of them, and they are dependent on their parents still. Yeah. They're dependent on the previous generation and they're ashamed. And the big reason why they ask people not to ask about their work is because they have to. They have a long explanation they would have to go through mm-hmm. um, every time, which mm-hmm. indeed is what happens when the stylish comes into their lives and starts poking around. And and it's not entirely dissimilar from where a lot of uh, younger adults are mm-hmm. uh, right now in America, which is before the economy tanked uh, at the end of like the two thousands. Um, there were different expectations of where you should be in terms of self-sufficiency as a young adult. But basically what it boils down to is the previous generation fucked the economy Mm -hmm. and now it's actually really difficult for us to make ends meet. And as a result, quite a few people are doing things like living with their parents Mm -hmm. or on their parents' health insurance or other forms of perfectly reasonable assistance. Yeah. That are just sometimes have a stigma, but really fucking shouldn't because when, the times has changed. When is the show set? It's contemporary, right? I is, believe is it's it contemporary. contemporary. Which, when it was written, anyway. Yeah, yeah so, it's contemporary. About 10 years ago. Exactly. Yeah, the, yeah. the TV show cell phones, since, they're, they're, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's contemporary, yeah. but they are stuck in the... The characters are stuck in the yeah. show era, basically. Yeah. It, it struck me as something very... Gen X in a lot of ways, this sort of mm-hmm. d- disillusionment with the previous generation. I the, actually, the boomers yeah. ruined everything essentially. One of the things they even that, re- refer to their parents as boomers. Yeah, they do. But yeah. I, I know, you know generational differences operate a lot differently in other countries. One of the things I really uh, responded to on this show was actually um, a kind of nostalgia that I don't really see played to very often, and specifically in that it's a show about uh, a young woman and her relationship. Uh, with a transvestite uh, was very, very indicative of a lot of the uh, queer cinema that I grew up with in the 90s, many of which helped introduce me to queer identities and ideas that I wasn't necessarily exposed to because I was young, people mm-hmm. were talking about it very much, there wasn't like easy the, access to the internet and other like information about it, so if I wasn't incidentally exposed to it, I might not know. Right. And so as a result, films like The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, or um, amongst many mm-hmm. others, were the kinds of things that made me go, oh, neat! And there's something just really... There are gay people. But but also, like, talks about, you know, the issues that relate to them, Mm. and a lot of them were about very wholesome friendships, and the wholesome friendship at the center of this, and how I think the the series really gets into the headspace of everyone involved, um, was really just reassuring and comforting to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I think if you come to this show looking for overt queer themes, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Because uh, I, which, which I was. This, that's the yeah. most disappointing thing about exactly. the show is that um, it doesn't engage. The, with the, the, the one yeah. queer character we have to refer to as queer coded mm-hmm. because he never has a boyfriend. He never talks about having boyfriends. Mm-hmm. He never talks about his own sexuality. He avoids it and he refers to cross-dressing as his hobby and he seems Mm. to be like kind of in denial about like why he's interested in it. He says he's doing it in college but then we see flashbacks of him as a kid and he's already yeah Mm -hmm. obsessed with dresses and being dressing really girly. But but he's young and maybe he doesn't even fully understand himself. And and he never he never identifies as female. He's Mm -hmm. not like transgender. There's none of that. Uh, Just a, a transvestite but he's he's gay, 
And that, if he had, like, said that a little bit more explicitly, it would have been a lot more dramatic when he realized he was having some feelings for the main female character. Yeah. Instead of he's just... Maybe gay, maybe bi, maybe, maybe yeah, pan. Yeah, maybe pan or something. Like, he talks about he's yeah. had a lot of relationships with women. Yeah. He mm-hmm. has so. a past where he's definitely... It's implied that he's not only had relationships with women, he's had sexual relationships with women. He's not... He doesn't identify mm. as a virgin. He's a yeah. non-virgin. Which is actually really important because his brother does, and that and, becomes a huge part of the yeah, story. And yeah, and his brother has a lot of anxiety about virginity. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I've I've tried to steer away uh, using the phrase "lose one's virginity." It's mm-hmm. such a bullshit backwards phrase. It is. So um, I've been trying to transition to making one's sexual debut. It's a little bit more theatrical and positive language. It feels like there should be confetti involved. Yeah, uh, and there should be. Yeah. <laughs> God, I don't remember a debut. <laughs> <laughs> I remember staring out on stage and blowing my lines. Yeah, just... Oh, God. The the gardenia was wilted. (laughs) (laughs) The prompter stole the show. Um, The making one... No crown for debut night. (laughs) You know, losing ones where it's like you've lost something and there's yeah. you know, all this yeah. value. It's something that needs to sexually. be protected. Yeah, it's so, like, yeah, it's so not, you've it's won the battle but lost the war. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> we, we had, oh gosh, back in high school in the 90s, we had like a, a like a sex chat for like the, all the juniors are going to go to the, to assembly and we're going to mm-hmm. have a real fr- oh, we're gonna yeah. rap about sex. And they would like yeah. turn their chairs around yeah, backwards yeah. so you know that they weren't like, they like, weren't throw, adults. Throw his, ja- yeah. throw his jacket over the shoulder and hold it with one finger. Let's talk about sex and they actually like brought some souvenirs up and said this and like handed one of them a box and said this is your virginity open, oh. open it and take it and pass it on to the next person by the time it gets to the end look look how ragged that thing is and it's oh like, I would have oh my god yeah, yeah 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 oh. that, this was actually oh performed in, front, in, in an LAUSD sponsored when they passed me school. that box that box would have been fucked up I would have been I, stomping that I would have just taken yeah, it yeah it's like <laughs> it's my box it's mine give it back to me yeah watch me stomp, stomp it, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who else wants to stomp the box? Everyone's like, this is getting confusing. Get, get, get a man and a woman up here. Just do it together. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Sorry about your ears, everybody. Well, but it was yeah. important for dramatic emphasis. <laughs> <laughs> We're just shouty, loud oh my folk. God. And no, if you fine. haven't realized but yeah, that, that But yet, that's the only thing know. that really really frustrated me about Princess Jellyfish yeah. was this sort of uh, prancing around the, the queer elements of yes. it. Uh, otherwise, because it's I, front and center, but we just never really address yeah, it directly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it should, if, if this were a 90s sitcom, they would have been a, lo- a lot more frank about it, because that's what they did during the Sweeps Week. Oh no, there's a lesbian character, and we're going to use the word lesbian 40 times in yeah. 60 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and they only use the word lesbian once to express a child's homophobia. Yeah, yeah. 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 Show, a, a little so kid points to two women and just says, lesbians! Yeah. Uh, but yeah, apart from that, I found this show to be utterly delightful. I liked oh, all yeah. of the characters a lot. Uh, yeah. I found them all to be incredibly charming and relatable, uh, and it, it really dealt with, I, I think, a good way to deal with uh, how anxiety operates and also how it can very, in a much more breezy fashion than when you think, kind of be pushed through. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not overcome, but I mean that's that is well, ultimately I, what happens. That's one thing I like about it is that mm-hmm. like there's a lot of stories uh, about introverted, mm-hmm. quiet, shy people. Not that those things are all synonymous, but those mm-hmm. types of people who meet an extroverted person mm-hmm. and then they quote unquote bring them out of their shell and then their lives are improved because now they've changed to be more like the group. And I'm not saying that there aren't just shy people who just want to like fit in and whatever. That's a thing. But there's also a lot of shy people who don't mm. and are very comfortable with that. Yeah. And I like that the show is not about changing everybody so that they are more like mm. uh, 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 Kronoske, uh, the uh, transvestite character, because I think that would suck. Instead, what happens over the course of the series is Kronoske comes to appreciate all the other characters for who they are mm-hmm. and what they're interested in. And well, they, to they, an extent, they discover that it's not so bad to be as stylish, but they never actually like are forced to like change their value system. Yeah, well, they, they meet each other halfway, and that's that's the great thing. They, they each get to taste each other's world and find positive things in it. Uh, 
there's the a, a scene in the series where Kuronosuke takes them all to like a fancy tea shop, mm-hmm. a fancy restaurant, which they're ordinarily too a too broke and b too mortified to ever enter, because they're just sort of used to staying at home, and they it, discover all of these wonderful new foods that they had never seen before, never heard of, and get to taste these new things and really enjoy themselves. So mm-hmm. they they get to find out some of the perks of being out in the world. And, but it's also a class issue as well because Kuronosuke actually comes from money. Yeah. Uh, Kuronosuke is, it's, it's actually like a kind of a sordid like melodrama, but um, he is the stepson of a very wealthy man who cheated on his wife with, I think he's an opera singer? Well, he's, he's also, yeah, I, I don't know if it's opera, it's some sort of, Singer though, yeah, a performer, a performer, performer. and uh, so she ended up. uh, So he ended up like being adopted into this uh, much more conservative family, Mm -hmm. Uh, and now his mom's out of the picture for reasons that actually the show never really gets into. Um, She's around, but he doesn't know where she is, Uh, and his brother knows the address, and there's that bone of contention between them that he's uh, he's always trying to get his mom's address from his. Stepbrother, his, his older brother. I kept yeah. expecting a big, big reveal about that, about like some like really bad. I mean, it turns out the older brother like just has a traumatic memory of discovering his dad cheating on his mom. But I was expecting with the be, opera, with, with he, you know his brother's mother. Yeah, but he was young and very impressionable, and that really had an impact on him. And apparently, it made him very uh, afraid of women and romantic and sexual relationships because that was something that kind of. And also strongly anti-fashion. You kind of get the Mm. sense that he, because he stumbles upon them in the closet that his Mm. other brother is imprinted on, that he's very much anti, yeah, anti-fashion, anti-like... Anti-theatricality. Yeah, Yeah. a bit of that. Yeah. Um, And, uh, but what happens is in the the series, Kuronosuke ends up, is it Mitsuki? The, okay. I, I don't the, know. The, the when protagonist you, of the sh- the protagonist of the show. Oh, oh Sukimi. Sukimi. Yeah, I apologize. I, if you just spit out a name, I'm not gonna know. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sukimi. <laughs> I'm bad. I'm always bad with names. Anyone who listens to this show knows I almost always end up like referring to characters by the actor who plays them. Sukimi. Uh, yeah, uh, Sukimi. Yeah. Uh, he ends up giving her a bit of a makeover, and then his brother sees her in the makeover and assumes she's a different person than the person who lives at that apartment complex. So he's actually kind of in love with her. But whenever she meets him in like her regular, just, you know, sweatsuit, glasses, hair done normally, she speaks to him as though they know each other and they are remember things that happen and he has no idea who this, why this person's talking to him. Yeah. And it's really awkward. It's a and, typical romantic triangle. The politician brother likes the girl. The cross-dressing brother doesn't know what he wants to do yet in college, wants the girl. And the girl doesn't know what she wants. Yeah. <laughs> because this is like her yeah. first exposure to love. She even says, like, towards the beginning of the series, that uh, Kuronosuke is the first boy that she's talked to besides her dad mm-hmm. since, yeah. like, elementary school. So she's very uncomfortable. Whenever Kuronosuke isn't in drag, she gets really shy and nervous all over again. Yeah. But yeah. whenever he is, she doesn't think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the story of the brother is the one that actually, like, really made the almost the bigger impression on me because it's handled in a very interesting way. At first it seems like it's going to be really kind of hackneyed. And then it's just that the way that they handle it is so strong because there's this, the big, poli- he gets a creepy. The politician brother gets a very creepy. Yeah, yeah. well, there's, there's, subplot there's a sexual own. assault yeah. subplot. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and it's and that sounds like it's so dark it would bring the whole series down, and it is really dark, and the series does confront it. But I think they handle it in a really good way, where he's uh, he's again he represents his family's family's politicians and the company that wants to bulldoze this part of town and set up and, and gentrify it basically. Um, they uh, they have a, a representative who is a... She's like a super realtor. Yeah, she's like a career woman. Mm-hmm. And she knows, she's perfectly willing and totally upfront about using what we might call her feminine wiles mm-hmm. in order to get businessmen and politicians to do what she wants. The, uh, the, the they're called boobs Ted speech from Aaron Brockovich, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so she tries this out on the older brother, not realizing that he's a virgin. And she ends up 
like he's not going for it. So what she does is she drugs his drink. She doesn't actually assault him, but she lets him think that he had sex with her, mm-hmm. and she takes a picture of them in bed. I mean, she does kiss him while he's not. okay. So just to break it down in case this is triggering for you yeah. in the future, she she does. When he's drugged, she puts him in a bed, she undresses him partially, and she does kiss him, and that's the extent of it. Yeah. Um, and, and, I think and that is sexual it's, assault, but it's, yeah. there, they, obviously there are levels, and it's, and, but she, it's really bad. She's yeah. very evil. She's posing the picture, though. She just, like mm-hmm. kisses him specifically to put lipstick on him. It's basically to, to blackmail him to be a kind of revenge porn. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This is, that, that's what she's setting this up as. So. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, however, the protagonist is falling in love with him. Yeah, and so, and but what happens is when he wakes up and he realizes what's happened, he feels, justifiably so, that he's been sexually assaulted, and the fact that he is a virgin and this would have been his first sexual experience mm-hmm. really hits him really hard. He does not approach this in like this stoic machismo way, and there's no like you know, oh well, you know, at least she's no, there's no there's nothing good about it. He is actually completely horrified and traumatized he by this entire incident. He has a crisis of identity. Yeah. Because you could tell um, when you go into his interior fantasies, he had thoughts about himself and his life turning out in a very different way, in a very traditional Showa, um, like old-timey heterosexual romance. Mm. You know, that's how We're going to get a house by the beach and just yeah. be happy kind of thing. And now he feels he's been... He feels he feels he's been tainted in some way. Yeah, it's really, and it hits him so hard, and you're like, oh my god, and yeah, and yet I don't know. There's something the fact that they're so frank and honest about how bad he feels and how she is completely misread how to handle him and how mm. people don't know what's going on in his life and misinterpreted. They think he might have a girlfriend or something, and that's why he's handling it so differently. Is just. It's handled so sensitively, even though in some respects it's kind of... I mean, we were talking about it as being almost Shakespearean and how like contrived the misunderstandings Well, are. it's just... Mm-hmm. It's Shakespearean in the level of misunderstanding and complications. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's how, just... How that information leaks to other characters very gradually. Then and then misinterpret and then other One misinterpretation them. builds on top of another mm-hmm. misinterpretation, and then, yeah. you know, at the end of it you have... Almost a farce, but not quite. Yeah, like it can be funny you know? at times, yeah. but there's the emotional gravity of what's actually happening to everyone. And yeah, they, it turns out by surprise, the supporting character has the most emotionally intense subplot of all. Mm-hmm. But like everyone's storyline is treated with sensitivity yeah, and they, genuineness, even though parts of it are farcical and funny. Yeah, the, the yeah. actual attack is never played for laughs. The no. attacker yes. is either a villain or a buffoon. She's mm-hmm. she's never treated as... A, and a villainous buffoon at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, not somebody who like has this complex life who would do this like she just has straight up villainous motivations for doing this sociopathic Uh, I would say she just wants money in the promotions that's doesn't care who she hurts she she does have a sort of a a comic moment where she explodes but it's all due because of like her jealousy and her envy it's like her weaknesses that that we're laughing at really yeah it's because she was being I, I think she has a burst against Kuranosuke um, when because she her, meets him in a drag, and her and chauffeur thinks that he's a woman and that he's really that attractive, he's hot, and then she just goes on a rant about like beauty standards. how fake um, Kuranosuke was, and mm. and calls out everything that he was wearing, like the falsies, mm. Um, mm. the false breasts, the eyelashes, and stuff. Because it, she's very aware of deception. That's her character, is mm, that point, she's yeah. about putting forward a false face at all times. And when she's defied outright by a person who is using the same kind of quote-unquote weaponry that she always does, it's particularly angering for her. Mm-hmm. She is like very much all goal-driven. She wants the win. You know, mm. she's she's basically hyper toxic masculinity. Yeah, <laughs> a tool for hyper toxic masculinity. Yeah. But yeah, that's her character. No, it's true. It's fascinating, and mm, and then also jellyfish uh, are, the, are the, a thing. The character is named Shoko, by the yeah. way, uh, the the villain character. But uh, we uh, sort of skimmed past it. But uh, 
uh, Tsukimi is falling in love with the stepbrother character. Yeah. In fact, they they have like sort of an outing and uh, they have this very big romantic moment in front of a, a jellyfish enclosure at an aquarium. It's not so much romantic as it just is surprisingly intimate. And she talks yeah. about the mm-hmm. death of her mom and he's there for mm-hmm. her. And then well, Kuranosuke yeah. sees them and thinks that it is purely romantic. And then he starts feeling jealous and he doesn't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, that's an intimacy that she's never had with men before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's never had that with a woman before. And so it ends up basically fulfilling the same thing. It's yeah. just not... It's not treacly, I guess, is my point. No, you yeah. it's, it's not... not too that her character has never allowed herself to grieve. And the point, the reason why that she leans forward to him and starts crying is because he tells her it's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. And she begins to start mourning her mother. The rest, like the first half of this is her being unable to mourn her mother. She's talking directly to the dead. As if they're alive, but she's not mourning her mother as having passed on in any way. I think that's the the no. intimacy comes from I can grieve. Yeah, and and her obsession with jellyfish yeah. is it, it, again it's something that she relates to her mother. And then as the series progresses, and Kuranosuke tries to encourage the nunnery uh, to try to make enough money that they can buy their building outright, so that they can't be bought out and they won't have to move. Mm. Um, it's actually uh, Tsukimi's obsession with jellyfish and her ability to take the concept of jellyfish and turn them into art that ends up becoming the sort of thing that they can... uh, Well, Kuranosuke kind of wants to to weaponize it, really, and just Mm. use it to make money, but she's actually expressing through the creation of jellyfish dolls and then eventually jellyfish fashion and dresses um, this relationship to her mom, and it gives her this material with which to... Mourn the past, yeah. celebrate her mother, and also turn it, turn it into something constructive rather well, yeah, than and, and an escape. Slowly move forward mm-hmm. and, and celebrate her obsession and the thing that yeah, has yeah. ostracized her for so long and kept her outside yeah. of society. Is all of a sudden she can use that into mm-hmm. her full powers. You know what I mean? It's uh-huh. like all and we start seeing the other characters and the other yeah. characters get to do the same thing. Like mm-hmm. the character who is obsessed with. Uh, uh, Japanese history. She's actually an incredible seamstress using older techniques and she's actually able to help out. Mm. So basically everyone's obsession, everyone's artistic leanings uh, are... Well, the historical drama obsessed one... Mayaya isn't very helpful. Well, uh, maybe if the series went on... She screams a lot. I would like to think that if the series went on, she would be useful. Maybe. But, like, again, she's, there's more she's, mind. She's this. more, like, useful in that she's a friend and she helps keep everyone going. <laughs> well, <laughs> she, but it's the it's the character who's good with dolls that's the, yeah. the seamstress. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted oh, I'm sorry, to, I was thinking about in terms yeah. of, like, cult... Um, because the character who's good with who who collects dolls is also she's also wearing very traditional kimonos and mm-hmm. she makes them and she collects like uh, uh, older fabrics and everything so that's kind of what I was leaning on but you're right yeah. that was, I, I said that very yeah. confusingly yeah. No. Uh, yeah, I've I've always been attracted to stories where people with weird interests just sort of make it happen. Uh, yeah, I've seen plenty of movies about just sort of like quirky weirdos who just sort of do quirky weirdo stuff and they're totally content with that. Um, it's great there, there's e- echoes of Ernest P. Worrell all over that. Uh, he's an important cultural figure, Ernest P. Worrell. <laughs> I love you so much, Wade. <laughs> Even as a lad, he was sensitive of his caring. He's cunning as a fox and as slippery as a herring. Okay. He's daring. Well, what I love That's, about those it... Those are the lyrics to the theme song to Ernest Rides Again, the fifth little-talked-about Ernest movie. There's a mm. reason. Uh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> The one uh, the the thing, the thing that I love about this <laughs> is actually um, and and it's a little easier because it's anime. I'm actually very curious to see the live action version of this. But mm. very often in fiction, when you have a character who's supposed to be extremely creative and talented and have a distinct vision and idea that no one's had before, uh, it's very difficult to realize that visually mm. because if you're able to realize that visually, you would also be that genius. And so sometimes movies like sort of shy away from that or they don't show you the good stuff or they just have to hope that you're willing to buy it. And here, the stuff that she makes, the the jellyfish dolls and the dresses and everything, you actually buy that. Oh, that looks cute. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, buy, I buy those dolls. <laughs> that, that w- they would have been fashionable. Yeah. Collectible. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually, well, I'm kidding. It's, I, it's hard to pull off and I always respect it when a show or a movie does yeah. that. Uh, it's And uh, it's because Kuronosuke is so... Uh, so bombastic that uh, uh, he's able to 
put a marketing spin on these things. You yeah. Know, it, the, the quality of the thing is important, and she's able to do this and make it really accurate. But it they have to they have to work as a team. You see, yes. and I like I like that idea that these two very opposite people become very very good friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something that I find is true in just a lot of art, whatever. Where a lot of the people who who make great art, they're not necessarily the best agents. Yeah, you know, yeah, like in terms, of getting, well. yeah, in terms of getting yourself out there, that that should yeah. be someone else's job. That you shouldn't have to do both. Mm. Like it's rude. Well, some people I, can. Some, some people, people can, like, and that's make fun. their own stuff, and they're excited <laughs> about it, and they're able to sell it. Really and well, good but, for uh, them, but that should not be the expectation because mm. there's a lot of people. Think of all the brilliant art that we've probably never seen. Yeah. Because oh, we got, someone never never had someone to speak up yeah. for them at like a convention or whatever. Yeah. And me- meanwhile, we have like an overwhelming amount of bad art made by people who can sell well. Certain but. types of things are easier to sell in certain ways than others, too. Like, I think it's easier to just put up a stall and try and sell something mm. than it is to try and pitch stuff to people yeah. and True. make yeah. ads all the time. Which is, Kuronosuke is actually trying to, like, kind of pitch concepts and websites and stuff. So doing that kind of selling is actually... Mm. It's trickier, yeah. you know. It requires a certain mindset. Well, you you have to. You're, you're asking people because if you're at set up a stall saying we're selling these dolls, all people yeah. have to do is decide whether they like that and if it's worth the money. Exactly. So that's that can still can be difficult, but that's one thing. But when you're trying to like pitch like a fashion line, you actually have to get other people on board with your mm-hmm. ideas and not just to buy it, but to invest in it. Mm-hmm. Not just invest their money but invest their time and their enthusiasm and that's a harder sell for most people because you're asking a lot yeah you are but if um, it's worth it a lot of the time yeah there's, there's a lot going on in this show but uh it's it's very breezy oh uh, yeah. we're, we're talking about all these you know heavy sexual assault subplot and then the importance grieving. of yeah <laughs> grieving and the importance yeah. of selling art and yeah. le- living your passions but this is a, it's a very brief show each episode is only about 20 minutes and only ran 11 episodes so it's really fast paced, mm-hmm. and it's, it binges it's, well. Yeah, it, it's yeah, really, they don't uh, all, but yeah. and it, it's really almost in certain sections. It's really kind of slapstick and farcical, uh, mm-hmm. and it's very uh, funny. really light and fun. The music's so really all, great. All of these emotional yeah. things are going on in the background, but uh, the, you're, you're absorbing it a lot more gently than I think we're describing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. yeah, it's, uh, it's really not it, in your face. I don't know. It, it's not a, a high school of the dead presentation. No. Yeah. It, it, reminded, yeah. it reminded me of a much chiller yeah. Tuca and Birdie. And we're dealing with characters who have real emotional issues going on. But it's not quite as situation. heavy and not quite as weird. Yeah, and... but like, yeah, I think if you liked Tuca and Birdie, you would like Princess Jellyfish and vice versa, but they are definitely at different intensity levels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and but my thing is this I'm watching this series and I'm just like, can we please get more shows like this? <laughs> because I feel like a lot of the American like dramas or dramedies that we get tend to either be just so mild or middle of the road that they're interchangeable and they don't seem to have a lot of personality or they have so much personality and they're trying to grab you or they're trying to be super like melodramatic in terms of like giving you a whole bunch of twists and everything constantly. It's the old soap opera dynamic and there's nothing wrong with that but like I want different kinds of stuff. And this really just scratched, like, every itch I had. Like, everything I kind of wanted in a series right now was, like, I wanted something that, like, is full of great characters. It's very funny. But it actually takes itself seriously enough that I really care about everything happening. And it tackles its issues with sensitivity and grace. Hmm. That can be done, it, it's, it's, it's easier than it looks, actually. It's just Apparently. I think a lot of people don't aim for that kind of note. It requires a lot of thoughtfulness, and I think, okay, we're going to go off into my own personal theories, but uh, I think we teach writing a little too structurally. Um, for sure. Yeah. And we adhere to a lot of structure in Western TV shows at the detriment of character understanding mm. characters and motivations and what scenario. people do and perspective i think that um when we talk about worlds feeling full and well built and developed we're talking about shows that have actively considered multiple perspectives of characters from different sections of class yeah. as opposed to most shows which tend to recede to one perspective and then get locked into 
the boring like roller coaster track we've all been on a million times before. It's a cycle of conflict. It feels like that's all it is. It's just we're going to have someone with a strong idea. They're going to fight this person one way or another. And that's kind of feels like a lot of shows are just kind of that over and over again. And that doesn't leave you a lot of room for uh, nuance or variety of perspectives. And yeah, I was taught like we we, we went to the same film school together and I, we, our classes were just like. Good old UCLA. Yeah. UCLA. But uh, we were we were taught basically just like, you know, all stories are conflict. Yeah. And I'm just like. That's not strictly true. That sells, and it's important to know that that's what a lot of people expect of you. It's it's an easy we way when also, you're just starting. Yeah. We were also taught all stories were love stories. I it's I, didn't I remember love that. I yeah. love when anyone's got a prescriptive and all something mm. is something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, the ones ooh. that the ones that always gall me. It's like oh, there's only really seven stories. There's only three oh, yeah. stories. There's a man. There's a someone comes into town mm. and someone leaves town, and I'm like, great. Mm. How? Was that helpful? You know, I, I was. And I then was they thumbing. teach us. Oh, sorry. No, no, you go ahead. Uh, then they teach us like act structure, and they include inciting incidents and and whatever in the right place. But they don't actually talk about the fact that. Western narratives begin with an initial problem to introduce you to the drama. Mm. They say it's like where we're introducing characters. That's not what we're doing. We're just dumping you in the middle of a situation with a problem, with mm. a character trying to solve a problem, and then you get yeah. some introduction that filters out along the yeah, way magically. Yeah. But we're still teaching structure from Greek plays, so I yeah, don't know. Yeah, they've not yeah. been... It's like, listen, the Greeks were pretty smart in some ways. It's been thousands <laughs> of years. It's all we've, Greek We've learned me. a few things. Well, that's true. My point is that we've learned... A f- you're telling me we haven't learned anything in thousands of years? We can- we got a few other ideas. I'm saying we've changed story structure a lot, and <laughs> we have, and we haven't updated our 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 thoughts about how to teach it, as opposed to like everyone comes up with like I'm going to make a new mar- more marketable way of selling uh, how well. to write a story, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Just just teach me how to make puzzle boxes. You know, yeah. teach me how to build the puzzle box. Teach me where to put, you know, the hinges in it. Yeah. And not that J.J. Abrams will never solve it way. No, no, no. Yeah. I, f- I feel like, uh, like a lot of, way. Yeah, exactly. a, a lot yeah. of uh, the public, or at least American public, uh, is really now really closely, intimately familiar with the first half of the first year of screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Like, the, yeah. where, where they get you into the structure thing, and the reason they teach you all that structure right up front is so you know how to effectively deviate from it and do something original later on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you can have a baseline. Conversation yeah, you have a ba- about baseline it. about but how certain kinds of stories tend to work. Here's and, how uh, basic. Here's what you need to know. Yeah. Stories have a beginning and a middle and an end. Yes. Yeah. Everything else is pretty. Is you can do whatever the hell you want, basically. And stop denying that. I am sick of screenwriters saying that <laughs> scripts don't have a beginning and middle and end. What? You can shove that up <laughs> in your gatekeepy bougie butts. There's, there's, I would love. You to have, do you have a page one? There's a beginning. Yeah. Do you have a final page? There's that's an end. The, end. the stuff in the middle? That's the middle. Happened in the middle, folks. It's really that simple. No, man. You want to be interested mixed, in page one, you want to be satisfied in the last the page, and you want to not man. be bored so the, the middle. end comes at the beginning. No, that's the beginning now. Where's your middle? In, I put it at the beginning. Like... Yeah. I, 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 not, I don't think this violates my NDA, but I blame my boss for a lot of that. I work for, I work for Quentin Tarantino. And Pulp Fiction came out and just fucked up the heads of a, a whole generation of young white male filmmakers. Well, people had, there was a whole like, generation very of... Very shouty filmmakers. I don't uh, like it. There, there's, there's, <laughs> yeah, but like the thing with Quentin Tarantino is that a lot of his like chronological like shifts mm. didn't seem highly motivated. So everyone's like, oh, we can do whatever we want. Mm. I'm like, yeah, if you actually look, they're motivated by character and theme. So like we're introduced to this scene first because this introduces us to the world well, and we come right back around to it because we're sort of putting a cap on everything. Well, like character theme and his own references to other cinema. Oh, very like, true. That's Depending mostly film, it. yeah. it's like you want to get and get into you know all the extra stuff out of his films. Watch like five hundred other movies, and true. then you'll have a blast. But you don't have to. <laughs> mm, it's true. And I think it's true, and, and let's bring that back around, I think it's true for Princess Jellyfish as well, because I think if you understand the cultural underpinnings of it, you're going to get a lot more out of it. Sure. But I also think you can just watch this and find it incredibly charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. just really nicely animated, and it's just 
what a delightful treat this was. So I want to yeah. just thank all of our patrons for picking this one. I want to thank Michelle for suggesting we put it on the list. Aww, you didn't have you. to pick it, but I'm glad everyone did. Thanks for picking it, everybody. Yeah. Uh, this series is currently only available on Funimation, uh, which is a streaming service. Uh, there was a two-week free trial if you just want to check it out. And uh, they have a bunch of other good stuff from Funimation as well. Um, and I think there's also a DVD or Blu-ray that came out around the time this came out, but that's not how we saw it. Uh, so that, but that might still be available if you would prefer to do that. We always support physical media here at the critically acclaimed network. Um, so, uh, we have to ask ourselves this very important question though, because there's a lot of shows that we've liked, but we said that they weren't canceled too soon because they kind of ran their course. Yeah. Um, so even though, even though we all clearly like this show, the question still remains, needs to be answered. Was Princess Jellyfish canceled too soon? And let's start with Michelle. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. I could spend so much time with these characters. I want Kuronosuke to go through his messy um, transformation and thoughts about gender and attraction and all that. I don't know. Yeah. I agree. I I think this show is definitely canceled too soon. Some of the storyline wraps up actually pretty tidily, Mm -hmm. uh, but some of it does not. Like the whole storyline with the brother, that never fully comes together. And even though by the end of the series, uh, Tsukimi uh, starts like achieving some of her artistic goals in unexpected ways, she still isn't very comfortable with them. And I kind of wanted to see her hopefully grow into herself more as an artist. But really, I think uh, 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 Kuronosuke just needed more development. And I think there are other mm. side characters who there were opportunities to do more with them, like Mayaya, uh, that I think I would just love to see more. I don't know how long this would be. I know there's only 17 volumes of the manga. So maybe there's only one more season to get out of this or two. But I would have loved to have seen it. Well, there, then there's a, a wonderful... You could play this either way, where you can de- continue to develop the characters, or you could fall back into an episodic structure, and I think both would work for yeah. this scenario. I just want to see these uh, characters do stuff. Yeah. I, I just I want feel like, them hanging yeah. around their apartments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's like, enough yeah. for me. Just hanging around, it's like, what, yeah. what's the drama? We, we can't find the right kind of steak for our meal tonight. And that's, yeah. that's the whole episode, that's and that fine. would be fine. Um I feel like there was a lot that was unresolved. There were a lot of romantic feelings. And yeah, Kuronotsuke's sexuality was a big part of it. It's like, oh, are we going to get to that now? Okay, yeah. let's. I found myself wanting more. So definitely, I think it was canceled too. So. But wanting more in a good way. In, in a good way, yeah. Good not way. not not because I, just because I was frustrated. I yeah. actually yeah. did like yeah. did like. And it feels show. like everything's really... well thought out enough mm-hmm. that there is whether or not we saw it a thought process we were not privy to, mm-hmm. and I just want to know. So I want to check out the rest of this manga someday, at the very least. Um, So all right, that is Princess Jellyfish. Thank you, everyone, once again for voting. Again, if you want to join our Patreon and vote for one episode of Cancel Too Soon every month, but also uh, uh, what we review on the Quick Claim Streaming Club every single week. We are also uh, having a poll right now to decide our next Patreon-exclusive episodic Mm. Uh, TV podcast, and we have a ton of other exclusives there as well. That is patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Um, you can also email us letters at critically acclaimed.net if you want to talk about this series or anything else we discuss in any of our podcasts or anything else. But most importantly, Michelle is a book. Sell your book. <laughs> All okay. that stuff we said about pitching your own stuff, do that now. Ooh, ooh. Okay, so. Uh, not at all like Princess Jellyfish, <laughs> this book. Uh, I did a pulpy horror thriller that's going to be coming out October 27th. It is about a sex worker who pursues a serial killer through 1980s Los Angeles using hooks to do so. It's a lot of fun, although I just finished edits a couple days ago, so I don't really feel that emotionally. <laughs> I, I feel so hollow and detached, and I hope I hope my emotions come around. Uh, I, I mm. like my book again. I'll take I'll take point on this. <laughs> uh, this this book uh, to use the common parlance. Uh, this book fucks. Uh, I've read this book twice already, and oh. I sped through it every single time. I mm. and I'm, I know I know. Like, listen, we're married. I get it, but I. And, and I, I won't be publishing a review of this, but I really, really like this book, and I think you'll like it. It is very queer. It's very pro-sex work. It's full of action, adventure, horror, uh, relevant themes. I, I think it's really cool. So, uh, And uh, when the time comes later on in a couple of months when this book is about to come out, we'll have Michelle back on, and uh, we'll do a couple of giveaways and maybe a reading. Giveaways. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you should be able to buy it uh, uh, wherever fine books are booked. 
uh, in uh, late October. And of course, Wherever we will have links. We will have we're, links on our Twitter and stuff. Uh, but uh, you can follow us at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. I am at underscore M L O P E S D A S I L V A. M Lapis de Silva. We will be t- we'll be tagging her in the post for this episode. And uh, next week we'll be back with another anime series. This one is um it's kind of um uh uh ooh, how do I describe this? Uh prohibition yeah, pro okay, that's a noun. Uh, <laughs> a prohibition era uh, large ensemble cast serial killer on a train Highlander. It's called right. Bacano. Uh, and I remember liking this one quite a bit, but having another one of these, jeez, another Bacchano? Uh, another what was your uh, on a train with <laughs> prohibition era serial killer on a train yeah. Highlander? That's like that's like the twelfth one of those we've done. So like Galaxy Nine Nine Nine. It's not all, but all <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Galaxy Express Nine Nine Nine. By the way, is pretty fucking amazing. Um, is, that, is that the one with the cats on the train? No, no. What am I thinking? the cat people. No, Galaxy Express Nine 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 is mm. it's in the future and. There's a train that travels throughout the galaxy, traveling from planet to planet, and it's not a train, it's a spaceship. At the, at the end of the line, it like it's a train. A train. And mm. at the end of the line, you can go to a planet where you replace your body for a robot, and there's a whole class system where robots get more privilege and wealth. Okay. Um, and humans are hunted for sport. It's actually Galaxy 999 was done, I think, in I want to say the 70s. Late 70s. Late 70s. Yeah. And uh, it's where uh, Captain Harlock came mm-hmm. from as a spinoff later on. So original space pirates and mystery. Mm. Um, the OVA for it is quite good. Yeah, um, we so saw I, we saw that one first. But I'm, like, yeah, I'm a it, huge fan. Yeah, there's there's like this long episodic series, and the individual chapters are really beautiful. But it actually condenses really well. It's like a really mm-hmm. good movie, basically. And a lot of the different planets. Again, it's like it's got that sort of um, episodic science fiction mm-hmm. uh, pulp feel. Yeah. Like similar to a lot of stuff that's coming yeah. out from we, the 70s. We land on a planet with this culture or this environment and then we explore that. Something really dramatic happens. The social we get back on the train. injustice yeah. or yeah. kind of weird thing the humans have done to themselves. Mm-hmm. It actually... Uh, it, it, I, it, I was just looking up pictures and I recognized the, the blonde woman in the fur cap. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that character, Maytel. Yeah. 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 I've seen her just floating through the pop consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really great. I, I it, it doesn't fit even the vaguest rules for Cancel Too Soon, but I'm glad we can bring it up. Because it's, it's, if you think <laughs> you've seen, like, yeah. if you think you've seen all the great sci-fi shows, you should totally check it out. I mean, it's going to yeah. be, you know, the animation's like a little dated by today's standards, but it's really striking and really great. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, we'll be back next week with Bacchano. Uh, we have the Twitter and everything. We got the Patreon. The show's <laughs> awesome. And uh, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. Bye. Sorry about the crickets, by the way. It's very hot. We had to open the windows. Okay, bye. Crickets love you. Crickets all love you.